Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at New Orleans? And hello to all my friends across the country who woke up this morning seeing flags and fumbles and extra points going wide left and batted balls in their sleep. It was not a nightmare, Hoodats. It unfortunately was real. Welcome to Datitude, Datitude, episode number 23 for a Monday, November the 15th, 2021. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at The Advocate, Times-Picayune, and bet.nola.com. And I woke up this morning feeling the same way I did at about 3.10 p.m. Sunday. Incredibly angry. Wondering what the hell else could have gone wrong for the black and gold. A 23-21 loss to the Tennessee Titans. How are you feeling this morning? Is it something like this? Hey, I kept it as clean as possible. You know what I mean. A little ticked off the world this morning. All those people texted me right after the game. They really should know better. I don't even want the dog in the same room with me. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? You just want to be left alone. You know, in a way, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, a loss is a loss. But today's show is going to be dedicated to blame. Who gets what percentage of blame for what clearly should have been a Saints victory? To hang with the best team in the AFC, and quite possibly the best team in the NFL, and to walk away with back-to-back losses for just the third time since going 0-2 to start the 2017 season is quite frankly hard to take. Especially when Tampa Bay spits the bit in Washington. A chance to take the NFC South lead was there for the Saints taken. Now, Surely we will have Jeff Duncan, who I'm certain will disagree with nearly everything I say over the course of the next 10 to 15 minutes. And after he's done, we'll briefly get into the craziness once again of what happened in the NFL yesterday. Carolina whomping on the Cardinals? Like we said, Tampa Bay losing to Washington, Pittsburgh and Detroit, that game deserved to end in a tie. We'll get to all that in a little while. But of course, we start Monday morning with the Saints and my dime. A brutal Monday morning as it is. First, a reminder, you can reach me at jderry at theadvocate.com and on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. if you have something to say. You can also listen to this podcast in multiple places, wherever you listen to it now. You can listen to it on bet.nola.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you subscribe. You will find out when each new episode comes out during football seasons. It's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, unless 
the Saints are playing on a day other than Sunday. And also, don't forget to watch our multitude of shows on bet.nola.com. Odds and ends on Monday to review the previous week in a football fantasy roundup on Tuesdays and at the book on Thursdays featuring Cashing In with Carville. Okay. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter who is to blame. But I think it certainly does in this one. Because if the Saints don't clean up some of the stuff and fix the crux of their problems, it really won't matter. In a few weeks, this season will be over if they don't, if they don't fix this. They played incredibly hard. It would be easy to blame the fact they were without several starters all the while remaining into it until the end. But Sean Payton will tell you being in a game where so many mistakes were made in the most crucial situations leaves any excuse unacceptable. I don't think he would disagree. So let's start with the one thing that was out of the team's control, and that's officiating. I am rarely ever one to put blame on officials. And I'm not going to blame them here. Clearly, that phantom personal foul call near the end of the first half was a game-changing call. But would it have made a difference in the end? It's easy to say yes about a blown call in the first half. It wasn't the infamous no call in the NFC Championship game. One can never know what would have happened. You can't just go by the final score because the course of one play or one call changes the way teams play. Had the Saints got the ball back there, even if they don't score before halftime, obviously there's one less touchdown for the Titans. But who knows how differently Tennessee would have played certain situations in the second half. I think it would have made a difference, but again, no one can use that as an excuse because of all the other things that went wrong. And that leads me to penalties. Not just that there were nine of them for 65 yards, but how they came at the most inopportune times. The final one was the most costly. The illegal shift before the two-point conversion attempt. How does that happen? So instead of Taysom having the chance to run the play, you go back to Simeon, at the seven-yard line and ask him to convert. It fails, and the game is over. I'm going to get to why the Saints should have never been in that position in a moment. The missed extra points, they were inexcusable. They obviously changed the game. However, still, we don't know how that would have altered Tennessee's philosophy and their attack had either of those kicks been made. Obviously, all those things changed some of Peyton's decisions throughout the rest of the game. Let's listen. Loss, disappointing loss. I thought we came in with a, with a good plan. We fought hard. That's what makes it difficult. Um, just in the end, too many little things, you know. A couple false starts, critical situations, obviously the turnover, missed PATs, but... You know, tip your hat. It was a hard-fought game. Any questions? Were you able to tell what happened on the missed Missed him left. What was the explanation on the rough and the passer? No explanation. So. There wasn't an explanation. What do you want me to say? Saying, you want my opinion on it? Yeah. No, no opinion on it. Did that, um, how much did the false start on the two-point conversion attempt at the end change your play calling there? Or? Everything, I mean, it's significant. From the two to the significant. Did 
thinking before that, like you switch quarterbacks, where do you think that's potential run play? We'll see. I'm not going to tell you what play it was, Catherine. Seriously. Next question. Next question. Next question. Obviously, it changes the play when you're on the two and you go to the seven. Poor Cat Terrell. He, he, he really gives Cat a, a lot of grief. I mean, it, it's and it's not just this game. It, it happens a lot. Um, I don't know if what the deal is there, but he just gives Catherine Terrell. And if you don't know who Catherine Terrell is, she is. Um, she used to work for us. Um, she now works for the Athletics. She's worked for ESPN. Um, a very good reporter. I think she does a great job. Maybe we'll have her on the show at some point. But he just, oof. But back to the dime. Look, I mean, st- stop blaming the refs and a rookie kicker. I mean, I mean I've, I've heard this from from fans. Uh, it, it, it's. My friends who are fans and, and even people who aren't my friends and who reach out and ask me what I think about yesterday. Stop blaming the refs and a rookie kicker. By the way, I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure Brian Johnson missed extra points and field goals before. Who decided to keep him? Who else are you going to get? Is it just as much the fault of the person who kept him here or brought him in here as the rookie kicker himself. You know, one thing I love about Peyton is he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't offer excuses. There is no excuse for yesterday. As good as Peyton is, and he might be one of the 10 or 20 best coaches who, is, who have ever coached this game. Seriously. He's certainly a top 10 all-time offensive mind. Maybe top 5. But sometimes he outthinks himself. At times... Like even the best who have ever done it, he makes some decisions that leave those of us who have watched every game of his career shaking our heads. Decisions that should be obvious. At the end of the game with 5.33 left and you need 11 points, who decided to kick a field goal on fourth and goal at the one and make it an eight-point game? We know the answer to that. Wouldn't it have been much easier to get a yard, go for two, And if you don't make it, then you're driving for a winning touchdown and the next extra point doesn't matter. Fourth and goal at the one. I think it was Sean Payton who said, if you can't get a yard, you don't deserve to win anyway. To me, that was the biggest decision of the game. And it was fumbled. All that said, here's the real problem, okay? Here's the problem with yesterday and potentially the rest of the season. And I'm not confident the answer that needs to be made to fix this problem will indeed be made. The real problem yesterday, and like I said, for the rest of the season, is Trevor Simeon. I'm assuming I'm in the minority. Maybe I'm not, I don't know. But so many of the little things I saw yesterday and last week leading me to believe the Saints would have had a much better chance to win the game against Tennessee and against Atlanta and win in the, win in the future if Taysom Hill were the quarterback. What are you talking about, Terry? He was 19-34, 298 yards, two touchdowns. He led them back in the second half to score twice. 
Gave them a chance to tie it in the end. Okay, Uncle Hudat and Aunt Black and Gold of the Super Bowl. Here's the thing, people. For the second straight week, the Saints had to make a furious rally because Simeon was a huge part of what put them in the position in the first place. His reads are average at best. His ho-hum approach drives me insane. How many passes got batted because of a low release with his eyes painted in one direction? How many sacks did he take because he held on to the ball too damn long? You know, I find it interesting. Some hoodats blamed Jameis Winston for similar things early in the season, and they weren't willing to give him a pass. But we're going to give Simeon one? That's absurd. It's easy to see what Peyton saw in Winston. He passed for 5,100 yards in 2019 with 30 touchdowns in one season. Simeon has thrown for just shy of 6,100 yards and 33 touchdowns in a 29-game career. Huge difference. Winston was a first-round draft pick who played with one team before coming here. Simeon is a seventh-round, 29-year-old journeyman who was released by four of the teams in three seasons before coming here. He wasn't supposed to be in this position. He shouldn't be in it now. I also get that, okay, Winston's gone. He's hurt. He's out for the season. It doesn't need... It doesn't mean we need to stick with someone we know can't get the job done. Yeah, the sample size is quite large enough in this case. It, it is. The banged-up O-line is not the top five line we have been, come accustomed to. And this Saints team needs a quarterback who not only can move around a little better because of all that, but they need one who moves the offense with a faster pace. With Simeon at quarterback... There is no pace. It seems lifeless at times, for stretches at a time. I completely get the team was without Alvin Kamara and Teron Armstead yesterday. I get it. I do. What was the excuse last week against Atlanta? Let me ask this. At what point yesterday did you have confidence this quarterback was going to lead this team back to victory? Seems to me every time Taysom touched the ball behind center, something good happened. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you agree with me or not. I don't see the switch being made at this point. I, don't, I just don't think he's going to make the change. I hope I'm wrong. Sean Payton had every opportunity at halftime to pull the trigger, and he chose not to. He had the opportunity to make the move before the week began, to be honest. And maybe there's more behind the scenes that we don't know. Maybe there's a lack of transparency. And he's a stubborn SOB. Sean Payton thinks he could turn a little Mikey down the street into an NFL quarterback. And maybe he is that damn good. But even if he can turn Simeon into serviceable, it won't solve the aforementioned problems. Even though we had a small sample size last season, we don't really know what Taysom Hill can do if he knew the reins were his. If he was that close heading into the preseason to beating out Winston, then why wouldn't he be the best choice now? We know what Trevor Simeon is. 
I mean, if you want to be 8, 9, or 7, and 10, leave him in. He can manage that, I think. Just ask the fans in Denver what they think. This offense has to have someone who can move at a better pace and get himself out of trouble when he needs to. And Trevor Simeon can do neither of those things. And that's Derry's Don. So, I mean, you know, we can talk about this for the entire week. And we may, who knows? It's just, it's frustrating. It really is. Well, let's move on. Let's get to uh, Jeff Duncan. And, um, you know, I love having Dunk on on a Monday because he brings an interesting perspective. You know, just by nature, Jeff Duncan is an optimistic dude. And sometimes you need optimism, and sometimes you don't want smoke blowing up your keister. But um, I think that uh, he is going to have an interesting perspective, especially after reading his column yesterday. So let's hear from him. Well, here to talk about the uh, Monday after is Jeff Duncan, uh, our own Jeff Duncan of NOAA.com, the Times Picune, the Advocate. And um, Dunk. Um, you know, it's gonna. It, it was. It was brutal yesterday. There's no other way to put it. I mean, it, you, you look at what happened, and um, you know, I've said it a thousand times. We try to, and I, I'm not gonna lump you into into my group, but I mean, I, I. It's different when you're sitting in a press box and when you're sitting watching at home. And I always, as yeah, I grew up following this team my entire life, so I can't help as a human side of me be a fan when I'm sitting at home and yesterday was brutal for a fan. Um, it, it was, it was hard to watch, hard to take and all the, the silly mistakes and, and mistakes by people not wearing white and black uniforms and, and uh, just, just a rough day for Saints fans. Well, you're not alone. I mean, Sean Payton, uh, we just talked to him this morning and he, he defined that loss as gut wrenching. And he said, you know, so much goes into a given game, all the work that's put into it. And to have uh, you be that close to kind of executing your game plan, I think they knew exactly what it was going to take to win that game and how it was going to be played. And I think they executed for the most part perfectly. They they were in the game to the very end, which is what they wanted. And they just, like you said, self-inflicted mistakes, there were some calls that didn't go their way out of their control. I think that's hard to accept. And then, um, you know, to come up short with some, obviously also some, you know, the missed PATs were huge in that game because they, they kind of changed how the game was played from both sides. So I think all those things are difficult to stomach, uh, not just for the fans, but uh, for the players and coaches too. Before we get into dissecting the game itself, because <clears> – <throat> Quite frankly, I read your column, and uh, I think there's a. I think for the most part we agree on a lot of things, but there are some things that we're probably going to disagree on, and I do want to talk about them. But I'd like to know, just in general, um, what did Sean say this morning that might have been a little different from yesterday, or was it very similar to what he said uh, yesterday afternoon? Because obviously, you and I both know feelings change in the course of 18 hours after a game. And what you might say after a game, you might tone it down a little bit the next day. Yeah, no, this is the first time in a while that he he sounded almost exactly like he was 24 hours earlier. 
uh, even said that. He said, sometimes you look at the film, you start to some things, and you're either more encouraged or you're more discouraged. He said, today I felt the same way I did after watching the film as I did when I walked off that field. Uh, I think he knows exactly what held them back in that game. Um, and, and I think it's the, the problem, I think, for fans right now. I mean, first of all, they're, they're five and four. They're, they're in this thing. Uh, that didn't surprise me yesterday. Actually, I came away a little in, more encouraged than discouraged because that's one of the best teams in the league. Yes, they're very banged up, too. I think that sometimes gets lost. The Saints had five offensive starters out, but I think Tennessee had even more starters overall out in that game. So, But still, you're playing them on the road down a lot of key players, and you're in the game all the way to the very end. I mean, that should be encouraging. If you can clean up your own mistakes, you can maybe win that game. Uh, but I think the, the, the thing that's hard for fans sometimes is they want to be reductive. And what I mean by that is they want to find one thing they think is the problem. And it's never that simple. Right now it seems to be the receivers, right? Everybody's jumped on the narrative that the receivers aren't good, and that's it. And it's just, it's not that simple, Jim. It's, there's way more involved. There's, there's, they're, they're just not as good in so many areas. And so it's one play, it's the quarterback not making the right throw. The next play, it's the receiver not making a competitive catch. The next play, it's a, a, on the left tackle that's a backup, not holding his block quite long enough. They can't get the ball deep. You know, it's all these little things that add up. And, and I think it's more uh, sophisticated and nuanced than just, we didn't draft a receiver in the first round, so that's the problem. You talk about in your column yesterday about how, you know, Sean kind of danced around the whole uh, official debacle. I mean, it was just one call, but obviously it did change the, the course of the game. Um, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I said it in my monologue that I don't – you can't blame the officials, and Sean doesn't make excuses, and – Fans shouldn't make excuses, but it's what fans do. But obviously that call at the end of the first half that ended up allowing Tennessee to score a touchdown changed the course of the game. Whether it changed the outcome of the game, we'll never know. But um, did he speak any more on that? I know he kind of danced around it yesterday. He doesn't want to get fined. We all get that. Um, Did he expand on it at all this morning? No, he didn't, but he had one quote that I think, you know, I've been around Sean long enough to know. Uh, I can read between the lines. I speak Peytonese, and he said, let me read it to you. He said, um, being honest, it's gut-wrenching. Truthfully, so much goes into the week. When you lose in a fashion of, and then he stopped himself and said, it is what it is, it's more difficult to accept. And that's yeah. what he's getting at. But these coaches are all control freaks. And Sean Payton's one of the biggest control freaks I've ever been around. He wants to be able to control everything he does in that building out there. He can't control the officiating. So that's what's frustrating to him is when they make a mistake like that, he, it's out of his control and it drives him nuts. And, yes, in a game like that, in a tight game like that, which you knew it was going to be tight, that's a seven-point call and it it proved that it changed the way the game was played you're right we don't know the outcome I mean the Saints could have fumbled on the next play if they got the ball we don't know but it, it changed and altered the way that game was played from that point on look I as someone who watches the NFL as as much as I do and I'm sure you watch it even more than I do because you probably go back and watch every game during the week I, I know I try to I, I don't always get to but 
we get to know who officials are. And I'm not a fan of the Jerome Bogart crew as it goes anyway. I mean, it seems like he is one of the leaders in, in throwing holding flags, obviously, yesterday. And it kind of went both ways. There was there were a couple penalties on Tennessee that I thought were – I mean, I, it's hard to see that when you're a Saints fan, but there were a couple penalties on Tennessee I thought were very questionable as well. So, there's certain crews you see before the game, and when you see them for the first time, like, oh, God, we got Bogart today. Um, it just – it's really kind of rough. Well, here's the thing I, where I weigh in. Okay, look, I wrote my column about it, and I never talk about the fishing. I think it gets way too much blame. I mean, these guys, you know, I, I just, I've only done it twice. No, no, no call on this one. And uh, just because I think it, it warranted it. But for the most part, I, I can say, yes, officials make mistakes. And this was, in my opinion, an erroneous call. It wasn't just me. Gene Steratore, who's one of the best officials in NFL history, said the same thing. But they make mistakes. I I understand that. Where I draw the line is this conspiracy stuff. I mean, you know, that that stuff's silly. I'm not buying into that. That's not, that doesn't go on. But I do think they make mistakes. And I think it's hard to officiate the NFL game the way the rule book is laid out. I mean, if you just look at the roughing the passer rule it's it's like two pages long i mean it's there's so much into it and if you're a defensive player i, I don't know how you know Caden ellis could stop himself at that moment he's jumping up i mean the, you know it, it was very similar i don't know if it was the Fal- i think it was the falcons last week against the saints i can't remember but a guy on the opposite team of the saints jumped up in the air and had his hands up and came down on trevor simeon yeah i'm in the tampa was- bay game it was a Tampa. Okay, I can't remember who it was, but it was the exact same kind of thing. What's the defender going to yep. do? He's he's trying to block the pass with his hands up, and the quarterback might duck his head into his arms. I mean, it all happens so fast. Like Demario Davis said yesterday, it's a bang bang situation. These guys are moving at warp speed, and there's just no way to to in, uh, officiate. That's why I wish maybe they could review these kind of things, but then that's going to drag out the length of the game. And so, you know, I think you just have to live with it if you're a fan and, and eventually those things do even out. I, I'm a big believer in that, but it's tough to stomach when you lose a close game like that. And that, let's face it, Jim. I mean, this team just isn't good enough, especially considering all the injuries and attrition they have. They're just not good enough to also make the mistakes they're making. All, all those things kind of add up against a good team and, and you lose by two points. Trent Green also agreed, and you're talking about a former NFL quarterback. So if you got a quarterback saying that's not rough on the quarterback, then uh, you're, yep. you're, you're probably in right there. And, you know, like you said in your column uh, yesterday, um, you know, I, I am I, I agree with you 100%. It seems like the, we have so many Saints fans who are conspiracy theorists, and the NFL hates this. Uh, come on. Knock that stuff off. It, it's it's not it's not real. Um, you can think whatever you want in your head. That doesn't exist. Um, the Saints have. Been, if if you watch the game as a, as as much of a realist as you possibly can, um, way more times than not, the calls in a game, even in a game, even out. I mean, not always, but over the course of the season, they, they they certainly even out. Um, and they're a phantom call now. The ones that change potentially change games obviously are seen more than others, um, and that that was the case in this one. But you know, I will say this: if I were a conspiracy theorist, which not when it comes to football, 
other parts of life, maybe. But um, when it comes to conspiracy, is it a coincidence that Sean Payton takes himself off the committee, the uh, competition committee, and and then this happens? I, I, it's obviously a coincidence. But a, uh, funny, I think but a funny was, coincidence. I think he was. I think he was more unhappy with the league. And this is just me. No one's told me this, but my read is he's more unhappy with all the COVID uh, violations and how they responded to that than it is an officiating call. I just think he doesn't uh, believe they were, that was legislated properly. Um, and I know, I know for a fact he was not happy about that. So I think the timing when he said it yesterday or, or a few days ago, when he said it was time, I think it that coincides with all this COVID stuff. We, we can talk about, Potential rules change. I mean, that's that's actually to me an entire show for like February, and I think it's definitely worth spending time talking about. It, but you are one hundred percent right. Rules need to be tweaked, changed, whatever you want to call it. They need to. You don't need to have two pages of a rule on what roughing the quarterback is. How about using common sense? I mean, it. First of all, it's a judgment call anyway, so you might as well use your own judgment on the intent of what the player was trying to do. I understand like the whole, if you land on top of a player, okay, I get it. If you hit him in the head, I get it. Other than that, I mean, if you don't have intent to me, I mean, if you're continuing on with a play and and it just so happens he gets knocked down, it's football. It's going to happen. I mean, otherwise, let's put flags on quarterbacks and let's just not hit them at all. And they can play till they're 55 and, and whatever. But um, it, it just, it, it's... The roughing the quarterback to me is the most absurd. It's gotten to be absurd just across the league in general. And eight times out of 10, when they call it, I'm like, well, it's absurd, but that's, I guess, according to the rule that is roughing the quarterback, but that's what has to be changed. And so I think let's, let's give the, the officials a little bit more judgment capability because it's a judgment call anyway. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And I think, that is actually the heart of the issue, and the league has actually made this point. They do not want the officials to try and um, judge intent. They've actually spoken about that. They've tried to eliminate that from their from their calls, and and, and you don't just see it on those plays, JD. You, you see it also. I remember this distinctly, uh, working in the Saints' favor. So it's a good example of how things work out sometimes. And I can't remember the opponent. Again, I'm, I'm not good on memory, but you might remember this. It was a few years ago. It was in the Superdome, and the Saints were trying to hang on for a win, and whoever they were playing was driving to try and, I think, kick either a game-winning field goal or a game tie. I can't remember, but they called an intentional grounding on the other team when actually the the, the receiver just broke one way. And happened the, to the Saints? It happened to the Saints last, last week or two weeks ago. Well, yeah, they called intentional grounding on this opponent when actually intentional grounding is when you're getting ready to get sacked and you're trying to avoid it. This was just the guy throwing in on an out route and the receiver broke deep. That wasn't intentional. He wasn't even being pressured, and it cost that team the game. I mean, it, they ended up losing yards. It lost the down, and it, but that's because they don't want the officials to try and rule on intent. They think that's a very gray area. Well, the ironic part about that is – the, the, the it, it's called intentional grounding. So don't you have to rule on intent? I mean, it, yes, call it something else then. Because if that's it's intentional grounding, you have to be intentionally trying to ground it. And uh, the Saints had one. I, yeah, uh, I saw that. 
I think Winston did, did it. The receiver broke the wrong way, and he he threw it out of bounds, and the receiver just took the wrong route, and he obviously wasn't trying to ground it. He was as he's right. throwing, the receiver cuts the other way. It happens right. all the time because if, if the quarterback's in the pocket, it's considered intentional grounding. But I mean, that's just common sense. It happened. Actually, happened in an NFL game last week. I can't remember which one I was watching. It was, it was either the Sunday or the Monday night game. Well, the exact same thing happened. They called intentional grounding. And I thought, you know, that's not what this rule, the intent of this rule is. Uh, but again, they're trying to eliminate that because they think that's a, a dicey area for the officials. Well, they need to put it back in because, I mean, to <laughs> me, to me, the officials need to use their common sense and use their own judgment. And, and to be honest, in, in, in defense of officials, they're probably not 100% sure what they're supposed to. That none of them are. Here's the problem I have when you do this, when you don't use common sense. There's no consistency, and consistency has gone out the window the past few years. It gets worse and worse every year, and, you know, I don't want to say it's unwatchable because I'd be a hypocrite because I'm going to sit there and watch it, but it is getting unwatchable for some fans, and at some point, they're going to start turning people off if they keep making these dumb rules because people aren't going to want to watch this stuff anymore. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, the ratings are still pretty pretty darn good, so until it, the ratings no, start I get that, down, right. Yeah, but but I I know what you mean. I, I just what I don't want to see is it become over officiated and too many delays. I think some of that's already kind of the case. Uh, yeah. But I just think the game's so fast right now. And again, we have the benefit of being up high with the camera angles and seeing the whole field. These guys are down on the field. You know, it's 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 just different when you're down there. If you've ever been on an NFL field. The one thing that blows you away is just how fast everybody. I mean, the the amount no of ground these guys make up in such a short period—it's mind-boggling. It really is, and I just think it's a very difficult game to officiate, much more so than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. When mistakes are made, these people are human. They're not machines. They're not robots. Um, they're going to make mistakes. Um, it's always harder to accept mistakes when they. Um, are so significant in, in something that costs your team or whatever. There's no conspiracy. I guarantee you, was it Bogart that threw the flag or was it another official? No, I thought it was. It was Barry Anderson, the umpire. Okay, so. A couple so, of years corrected me on. And look, it, that guy, I guarantee you, when he watched on film, I would be willing to bet um, five to one that when he went and watched it on film, he goes, ooh, I screwed that one up. I mean, I. I've umpired baseball games and, and done different things and called games and realized I made mistakes and wrote columns and been corrected. And you and I have both been corrected throughout our, our career. And like, oh, thanks for catching that. I mean, it, it, that's what we have editors for. When you're officiating a game, you don't have an editor. You, you throw a flag and you got to live with it. So um, there's no intent there. But, but it all to me, it starts with, with New York and um, – these are things that they're going to have to talk about, and hopefully they will clean some of these things up. The NFL usually does a pretty good job. Sometimes it takes them a while, but I think eventually they'll get better on this stuff. Let's let's move on a little bit and talk about the game itself. Um, I think you and I have – I'm, I've known you for almost 20 years, so I know you're going to disagree with, with my opinion and my assessment on where this team is right now, but that's okay. Um, I'm going to just go flat out into it. I think the Saints are – they're not even a 500 team if they keep this quarterback back there. And I understand what his stats are. I understand that he led them back to to two rallies. And 
and did an okay job, but they were in that position two weeks in a row because of, frankly, his ineptitude. Um, and you can't play a good quarter and a half in an NFL game against a good NFL team to win football games. And this team is not going to make the playoffs if they keep Trevor Simeon at a quarterback. That's my opinion. Yeah, I, look, I understand a lot of people feel that way. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but I don't know if they have a much better answer unless you think Taysom Hill. I don't know if, if either of those guys is good enough to go to, you know, take this team to the Super Bowl. I think this team is a playoff team. I, I do. I think they're good enough to make the playoffs with Simeon or Taysom Hill. I don't know once they get there how much damage they can do just because they're so limited offensively. And I, I think Trevor Simeon, right now, Sean Payton feels comfortable with him. He, he does know the offense. I think he makes a lot of the right reads. But he's a third-string quarterback for a reason, you know? I mean, he, he he's just not quite consistent enough. And he misses on just enough key throws and maybe the reads. And, and, and I, I think it's a good point you made. Um, you know, right before halftime, that sequence right after the bad call, was critical. I just was watching the replays again. I mean, the Saints had first and 10 on the Tennessee 35-yard line with a minute left. That's plenty of time. And he takes back-to-back sacks. And I know people are going to say, well, the receivers weren't getting open. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, he's got to have a better clock in his head, better decision-making. I think the play call could have been a little bit better there. There was nobody like an outlet for him to drop it off to. All those things are kind of nuanced uh, sophisticated things that this passing attack had with Drew Brees that it doesn't have right now. And so I think these little things that all add up to a big thing is what's holding back the offense. And I've got a story on this, J.D., that's going to run Wednesday in the Times-Picune about the offensive struggles and trying to explain to people that it's not all just one thing. It's a bunch of things, and you're right. Some of it's the quarterback. I'll give you a good example. Last year, in 2019 as well, there's a, a metric out there, a statistic that Sports Radar, this analytics site, keeps called on-target throws and catchable throws. Well, as you can imagine, the Saints were either first or second in the league in those metrics in 2019, 2020. I haven't looked back beyond that yet. I'm still in the research process. They're right now in the bottom three. So the quarterbacks are throwing just enough uncatchable balls this you know that that it's adding up so when the receivers you know do have a, a catch to make sometimes it's very competitive and and they're just not quite talented enough that drew Brees might have made that ball another foot and a half outside and it's not quite as competitive a catch and the receiver can catch it those are the little you know great that's the drew Brees greatness that we're missing and it's natural whoever was replacing this guy was going to run into these issues you know, I uh, certainly agree with that. It is easy for anyone who's watched his team for 15 years. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, my son's 23. Drew Brees is really the only quarterback he knew as growing up as a Saints fan. If you're 30 years old now, the last time someone else was quarterback in this team, you were like a freshman in high school, which is really yeah. hard and weird to, to, to understand for somebody that's my age. And we remember back in the Aaron Brooks days and the the Jim Everett days and Bobby Bear and all that stuff. But I will say that. So in, in that regard, it is, it, it is certainly harder to watch someone else quarterback in this team anyway. But that being said, I think that here, here's my issue with 
making a change. Two things, twofold. First off, I've now seen enough of this, of this, I'll call him a kid. He's 29, but in my eyes, he's still a kid. I've seen enough of this kid to know that the Saints are eight and nine or maybe seven and 10 with him at quarterback. I've seen enough to know that. I have not seen enough of Taysom Hill to know that there can't be better with him. And I think it's, you know, not my decision. Sean Payton's a football genius. He knows more about football than is it than, you know, in his little finger than I'll ever know in my entire life. I get that. But sometimes I think he's just a little bit stubborn and wants to whatever it is. But if Taysom was the second string quarterback coming into the season and was fighting it out with Jameis Winston to who's going to win. And, you know, we didn't know who was going to win this quarterback battle until right before the season started, maybe a week before the season started. So if he was that close to winning the starting job, then you got to think that Sean Payton thinks he's the better quarterback than Trevor Simeon now. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. And, and it's something actually Payton addressed uh, on the conference call today, as far as how he views like a two quarterback system. And he said he's just looking for a consistency right now with their yeah. quarterback approach. And he wants, he wants to keep the starter, I think, and keep this, uh, this role that Taysom Hill is playing, at least for the time being, keep it the way it is. I, I don't think he's going to change. I think he feels like. I agree. Trevor I don't Simeon, think he's going to change it either. Yeah. I think Trevor Simeon is going to be the guy, um, It'll be, it'll be interesting, though, to see if they start using Hill a little bit more. Hill doesn't look quite right to me. I noticed in the replay of the game yesterday, I, I saw it when it happened, and, I, and I, it reinforced it when I watched it again. Like, he got hit just on a regular hit at the end of a reception, and he tapped himself out. And it wasn't that. It wasn't any helmet-to-helmet. Helmet. Uh, I just wonder, I mean, he, we talked to him on Friday, and he said that he was still having lingering issues with the concussion on the Thursday before he got uh, okay cleared to, to play. So I think they were they went into that game against the Falcons saying we got to go with the quarterback that's 100% healthy and that was the decision. I think they feel like Simeon's played well enough to where they're going to keep the status quo, but it, I think the lease will be short. The one thing that Simeon has done that I actually think is a good thing is he hasn't turned it over yet. <laughs> you know, he has zero interceptions. Which is huge for this team. They can't afford these turnovers like boom, the one they had yesterday with Deontay Harris. Uh, but I think he's also been kind of fortunate. He's had a lot of balls batted at the line that have been popped up in the air, and eventually one of those is going to land in a, a defensive player's mitt. Yeah, well, if if Taysom is not right and he's not ready to go, um, then that's another thing. But be, I mean, really, I mean, I wish we would just. Well, I know I'm asking. It's like asking a. Uh, a 500 pound man, if you can have his last hamburger, I, I get it. You, you, but I wish they would be transparent. I mean, and, and it just, just not, I mean, if, so if it's the case that he's injured, then fine, then, then you got to do what you got to do. But, um, and I agree with you. I think, I think Taysom doesn't look this something I write, but every time he's gone back there and I say every time it's only been two games, but in the two games that he comes in and fills in in relief, it's boom, boom, it's boom, boom. It's the pace that he runs. His pace is different. Simeon is just kind of a nonchalant, just, okay, let's run the plays. I mean, obviously he's a cerebral guy and he just, you know, he, he understands and gets everything, but he's just not, he doesn't have an NFL pace. Taysom Hill is, is go, go, go. And at the minimum, 
what I'd like to see at the bare minimum. Can we see him run an entire series? I mean, because when he comes in there, they move the football and then he takes them out. And we saw it against Atlanta. He comes in, makes two great throws, and they move quickly. They put Simeon back in. He drops back to pass, stands there, gets nailed, fumbles the football. And to me, that changed the entire game. That, to me, that's why the Saints lost the game, that one play. You, you want to look at one play, and this week it's, you want to call it the ref, fine. But to me, the one play that changed last week was Simeon getting nailed after Taysom goes two in a row. I'd like to at least just see what he can do on one full series. Can we do that? Yeah, well, here's the thing that I think complicates that, and, and, and Taysom talked about it on Friday. He said that he, in the role that he's being asked to play, you know, that jack-of-all-trades, uh, Swiss Armory night, he spends the whole week of preparation, a large a portion of it, in those other position groups, meeting with the tight ends, the fullbacks, you know, the receivers, like he's in all these other meetings. And so the quarterback, that's why Trevor Simeon is the starter right now, because he's just in the quarterback room. He's not having to do that. He's the guy digesting all the game plan. And I think it makes it hard for them to do. He can't do both. It's, it's humanly impossible. He can't be in both meeting rooms. So that's the problem with starting Taysom. If they elect to start him, they're going to have to go all in, and he's going to lose that other role. And I think that's the dilemma that Sean Payton faces. Yeah, and I know that's tough to do when you're, lo- <clears throat> when you're missing an Alvin Kamara and, um, you know, you're missing one of your offensive linemen and, you know, Teron Armstead. And, I mean, really, Pete's going too. So, I mean, it, you know, I, I get that. And, but I just they, – they've got to come up with something. And, and even, I, I think I, the biggest issue right now, J.D., is – in my opinion, the number one issue is they don't – there's nothing easy for this offense. Like, they, they don't agree. get – they don't have the take-it-to-the-house playmaker. They just don't. I mean, even Mike Thomas wouldn't be that. Uh, they, they're, you know, they, they're last in the league in 20-yard games. I mean, they're not even close. Going into last game, they had 18 20-yard games, whether running or passing. The next lowest team in the whole league had 25. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some teams that have, like, 50. They're not getting these chunk plays, so everything is a long drive that takes up a bunch of plays, and you got to execute at a high level, and this team just isn't doing it. They don't have Drew Brees. They don't have all these great offensive players, and it just all it takes is an Adam Troutman, one bad drop, and then that gets magnified because you don't have the Drew Brees or the, or the great playmate that, that, that can take it 70 yards. They just don't have that, and, and it's going to be the case, I think, the rest of the year. Well, you touched on a, on, a, on at least one thing that's ticking off Saints fans. And, look, I play poker every Sunday night, and, you know, so, some nights I don't want to go because I know everybody wants to ask me what I think. Just like when you go where you could probably go sit and have coffee somewhere and someone's going to recognize you and they're going to want to come sit down with you when you're trying to just relax and drink a cup of coffee right. and, and pick your brain. So it is what it is. I mean, we're in this profession. That's that we're supposed to talk to people about this. But you know, last night I must have been asked five times by five different people about Adam Troutman, and because I've been a defender of his in the past, and he's a young player who's obviously made more mistakes than he's made good plays. But uh, do you still defend Adam Troutman? Yeah, I think he's going to be a good tight end in the long run. I think I like what I see, but man, it is frustrating to watch a young kid make the kind of mistakes that he's been making. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the growing pains. He's probably thrust into a more high-profile role than he was ready for. I think it's pretty clear. 
and that was all kind of a domino effect from having to let Jerry Cook go uh, because of salary cap issues. And that's one. That's the, these are the things that this transition is all about: having players probably playing a little too soon because that this team had to go young in some areas. Uh, I do think he gets a little bit of a bad rap. But one thing that I think happens is, uh, you know, when a, some of these players, you know, make a make a mistake, it goes unnoticed. Like if an offensive lineman makes the wrong lead read or something, uh, or if a quarterback has to have the ball out on a three-step drop and it doesn't come out, and you know, there's a lot of things that are un uh, that are inconspicuous. And then there's a drop pass where everyone can see. That's, that's right. That's an obvious mistake. And so I think it, it gets magnified more because there's nowhere to hide. Adam Troutman went into that game with three drops on the year. But you know who has most drops on the Saints? Alvin Kamara, five. No one's even close to that. But no one's screaming yeah, at Alvin Kamara. But does anyone have as many targets as Alvin Kamara has? Right. But, I mean, I'm just saying he's dropped five balls. I mean, no one, you know, no one complained. No That's receiver right. on the team going into that game last week, no receiver had more than one drop. Now, I know people are going to say, oh, they had five drops against the Falcons. Those are not, and at least the analytic sites I look at, are not considered drops. They're, you know, there's a, if a defender has his hand on the ball, it's not going to be considered a drop. So well, I just think that it's, wow. get, you know, it's getting magnified. Fans also, if, if, if a player has to reach back behind them, there was a play, I think, um, I'm trying to think, I think it was Callaway last week. He had, and then he had another one this week as well. He has to reach back behind him as he's running forward. And it and yep. it and it hits off his hands. I mean, I hate the old. It hit, it touched his hands. He should have made the catch. Okay, that's easy for you to say, Fat. So it's not that easy. I mean, you can't just you don't just make catches. I mean, sure, the the Devonte Adams and and the great receivers of the world, the the Keenan Allens and the like, make OBJs make catches that that normal people don't make. But these guys, I mean, you you don't just make those kinds of catches. They're not they're not a drop if it if it necessarily if it hits you in the hands. I mean, so we got to give we're we're giving the receivers I think way way too much grief because in the grand scheme of things, I don't think they I think actually after that first half against Seattle, I think Traquan Smith has been outstanding. Yeah, he's played well. You make a great point. I mean, I think how many balls over the years did we all see? Drew Brees complete the Marcus Colston. He was not. I mean, I always laugh about the separation stat that's become the, you know, the metric du jour right, right. now. I mean, I would love to know what Marcus Colston's separation figure was. <laughs> he was, that's not his game. But he caught those balls like you're talking about, those back shoulder throws that's right. where he was covered. And that's because that's right. you had a great quarterback and a great receiver, and they make it look easy. Now you're seeing what it's like when you don't have those kind of guys. That's right. It's not that easy, just like you said. And you're talking about a rapport that was built for 10 years between a Hall of Famer and a guy that, frankly, is on the – I mean, he was probably one of the top five receivers the Saints have ever had, maybe even higher. I mean, and I'm not talking about stats-wise. I'm just talking about, you know, as good as he was. And so, I mean, and Mike Thomas really, the his time with Drew Brees was a very similar thing. He made catches that the average – receiver didn't make so you get used to watching that and look I don't think I agreed with you in the beginning of the season and when we talked about it life without Drew Brees I think it was tough to understand um, because we saw Drew Brees were, was not capable of throwing a deep pass and things but I I, I definitely lean to your side now and, and I understand I guess after watching um, 
what, nine games in life without him. Um, it wasn't just a deep pass. It was where he put throws and his pace of the game and his knowing of everything. You, you just can't, you can't feel that. And it just goes to show a guy like Peyton to me has to have a real quarterback. I mean, you can have all the other weapons and all the other eye candy and everything else. But to me, I don't know how they're going to do it with the cap space they have. But to me, in the offseason, it has to be the number one priority. And I know Ian Book is potentially uh, the starting quarterback later on. But at least in the short term, to me, they've got to go out and get a, a top-tier quarterback or they're never going to win anything important. Yeah, I think I – think, uh all options will be on the table in the offseason. That's just the way Peyton is wired. Uh, I don't think he wants to go through another season like this, uh, trying to manu. I mean, it's just so hard for them to score now. They have to manufacture everything. Uh, you know, they had some nice plays yesterday. I thought the wheel route to Mark Ingram was yes, a beautifully designed play. The perfect pass by Simeon. I, I haven't looked it up, but it might, might be the longest pass reception of Mark Ingram's career. I can't imagine him having too many 34-yard catches. Right. I mean, they had some nice plays. They had a flea flicker called. I asked Sean about it that they were really excited about. It happened to be that Tennessee blitzed on the play and blew it up. That was designed. Oh yeah, it was a the flea Trent flicker. Green yeah. was right. And they were going, yeah, and they were going deep. I mean, they were going deep, but it just the Tennessee had the bright play call. They, they blitzed and it muddied it up. So there's these things I know you mentioned earlier about the play where Simeon fumbled against, I think it was Atlanta. Yeah. Um, Sean told me the other day that uh, that was going to be a touchdown, but he said Teron Armstead was really struggling with his knee in that game and he couldn't hold up in a block because of his knee and he gets hit blindside and it fumbles. So, I mean, these, there's these little small things, you know, that are happening and they add up, you know, and it just shows you they don't have a margin for error with, with this team, especially considering don't, you don't have Mike Thomas and Jameis Winston and Alvin Kamara. Well, you're never going to have Mike Thomas again. But, again, that's a show for February. We could talk about that later. I don't think Mike Thomas is ever going to wear number 13 for the Saints ever again. But, uh, that's again, we'll talk about that in the offseason. And I don't want to put my reporters in, in, in a – even though you're a columnist and you can say these kinds of things, I don't want to – you still have to talk to Coach Payton. So, but, uh, but look, I, there is uh, obviously – fans want to talk about the kicker too. And, um, you know, one thing that I said in, in my monologue was you can sit there and blame a kicker all you want, but the fact is the guy's a rookie. Uh, I was asked, here's another thing I was asked about eight or 10 times last night. Who are they going to go out and get another kicker? Well, who are you going to get? I mean, right. you know, Joey Sly, if you look at him, he's bounced around like a pinball already this season and he can make 60 yard kicks and miss an extra point in the next kick. Who are you going to get? I mean, that just shows you the value of a, of a really good kicker. And uh, so I, I think you're kind of stuck with Brian Johnson right now, and you have to work on his confidence. But, again, you can't blame a kicker for things that ha – I mean, you miss an extra point, you miss an extra point, you move on, you figure out an advance. Sure, it contributed to what happened, but it's not the kicker's fault. Yeah, well, Sean talked about he did he did basically blame the kicker on those two misses, though. He said – you know, the, the, the operation, put it this way, the operation was good. The snap was good. The hold was good. The first one, apparently, he hit it fat, you know, caught his cleat in the turf. And the second one, he just pulled. Uh, probably put a little pressure on himself. But I would say this. I mean, you got to be consistently making those extra points at the NFL level. You just can't kick in the NFL. I think all the Saints really want, I think, 
is someone like an old John Carney that's just going to be almost automatic uh, no. 40 and in, you know. That's all they really want. And right you now, you give me nightmares when you bring that name up. It just it reminds me. I, you know, I was with you in Jacksonville when he missed the extra point. It just that name just brings up nightmares to me. Oh my god! But I know it was like the only kick he missed in like ten years or something inside. His only extra point missed in I think fifteen years. It's just mind-boggling that he missed. But the point is, he was almost automatic on the short kicks, and I think that's. All Sean Payton, because when you miss an extra point in a game like that, all of a sudden everything changes, you know. It changed how Tennessee played, uh, you know, defensively. And Trevor Simeon talked about that. I know a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, he really got hot and he started moving. I actually think Tennessee kind of played into that. I don't know if they played that game the way – look, they won it. They managed it well. But once they got up two scores, they played very conservatively on defense and sat back in a lot of zone, and that plays right into the Saints' hands. The Saints struggle offensively with man-to-man coverage. The receivers just aren't that. They don't have a game-breaker, only Deontay Harris, really. So it played into Trevor Simeon and that receiving core's hands, and that's why they were able to move the ball, and they got back in the game. That wasn't good enough to win it, but Tennessee kind of greased the skids, I think, on that comeback. What you just said is a, <clears throat> is a perfect example of why you cannot blame the officials for yesterday's loss. Because what you talked about, how Tennessee played defense, had they not scored there, and it would have been a tight game, and it would have been within a touchdown, and or the Saints have the lead, the Tennessee defense plays completely different than they right. did in the second half. So you cannot blame this loss on an official's call you can't blame the loss on missed on two missed extra points because you have no idea how Tennessee would have played had that those things not happened. It's exactly right, hundred percent right. I've always said that people people just assume the whole game's gonna be played the same way. Sean Payton talks about it all the time. One of the things he talks about as an offensive play caller is getting control of the game. You know, getting the two score lead and you've got control of the game. Well, Tennessee had kind of control of that game. As soon as Deontay Harris fumbled and they punched in that quick touchdown, they got up 26. That's huge in a game like this. They got control of the game, and they managed it differently than if they didn't have control of the game. I think that's important to note. 100%. See, we've agreed on a lot more than I I thought we would agree on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an easy thing to say, oh, you know, they only lost by two. But, I mean, you don't know how the game was going to be played, I mean, after that, if that wouldn't have been the case. It could have been different. And I was actually very impressed – I came away very impressed with Tennessee. I think they're 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 a legitimate uh, Super Bowl threat. I think. I think they're the best team in the NFL. I real I, I, I mean, really there's did. no weaknesses. If there's you really look, very few weaknesses. Now, I'll tell you what I'm impressed with, and watching them not not just against Saints, but what they've been able to do over the last you know five weeks right. is well coached, very, very well coached, very well coached, and and I and I think I don't think I had as understood how good he was until I I mean. You think of Vrabel as this 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 guy who played for Bill Belichick and just this kind of goofy guy. He was kind of a very you know he was a rah rah kind of guy when he was a player, and he'd he'd catch these passes on on, on you know he, he'd catch these passes from Brady on the on the end you know when they were on the goal line and stuff like that and just make different plays. But that's what I think of when I think of him. But I think last year kind of like I'm like watching this guy and. Just the way he coaches, he can. He's kind of a rah-rah guy, but really, uh, they, they very well-designed plays and 
just he seems to be in charge of everything, almost to a, to a certain extent, Parcellian. Um, I mean, yeah. obviously he's not good point. He's not like that, but it, just the way that he coaches. And uh, I think Tennessee, is, to me, Tannehill is an average quarterback who looks much better than average on this team. To me, you got a defensive front who's playing. Their defensive front is playing as well as any defensive front in football right now. And you look at their secondary. I don't think Christian Fulton's that great, and he just came back from an injury. And Jack Rabbit's playing outstanding, and they're just serviceable. I mean, but they don't have – to me, they don't have – Derrick Henry's gone, and besides A.J. Brown, they don't have any, you know, top-notch, top-tier player, but yet they keep finding ways to win against the Josh Allens and the Patrick Mahomes of the world. They just keep doing it. So they're – I mean – I was just going to say, J.D., I think they're a great model for the Saints. I mean, this post-Drew Brees era, if you can't get, you know, an elite guy, which let's face it, that's what everybody in the league wants. Everybody in the league wants an elite quarterback. They're a good example. They go pluck Ryan Tannehill away from a a bad situation in Miami, and they're winning games with him, and he's you're right. He's an average quarterback, but the sum of the parts here add up to, you know, a greater whole with this team. They – they just play well despite all these injuries. I mean, they had 17 guys on the injury report last week. I mean, it was mind-boggling, and they overcame it all. They lost their left tackle at one point in the game. Uh, they're a lot like the Saints, and that's why that game was I so agree. close. And, and I, I think they're a good example of, like, even if the Saints can't go in the offseason and get Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers, one of these pie-in-the-sky moves, I think they could still get somebody. And I think that's kind of what Jameis Winston was going to be. Their version of Ryan Tannehill, just, you know, don't make the big mistakes, play smart. You got a good defense. You run the ball with this great running back you got. And I think where the Saints were missing is they don't have Mike Thomas to be their A.J. Brown, you know, and that's kind of something they have to live with. But it should never have gotten to that because he should have had the surgery way back when. And even if he did have a setback, they'd have had him in the season. That That's really glaring right now. You know, it's sad because – I really think that Winston was finally, I think he was going to become exactly what you're talking about. I think he, he was to that point to where he wasn't going to wow you, but that's okay. And he had under, I think he had finally started to mature and understand his role a little bit and what was wanted of him. He had become the team leader in just a short period of time. It, it was, it's clear that he felt like this was his team now. And it's so frustrating because you want a kid like that to succeed. I mean, even when I was saying in the beginning of the season that I didn't necessarily think that he was the right choice. I didn't know who the right choice was, to be honest. But just how, to me, he played awful the first couple of games. Even if he threw five touchdowns against the Packers, I thought he didn't play well at all. But to, where he came from week one and week two to right before he got injured is so frustrating because I'm like, you, you pull for kids like this. And he, to me, he, he had become exactly what Sean Payton him wanted him to come to become in the saints. In my opinion, it would be seven and two right now. Had he not got hurt. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think he was really coming along. I think he figured it out. And sometimes, you know, I have to check myself on that. I mean, we all do. I think fans, reporters, everybody, these are young guys that come in the league and they mature and develop. And some of them, some of them are ready right away. Some of them take a little time to kind of grow into it. And I think James Winston was one of those guys, you know, he had a lot on his plate. Uh, he was supposed to be the franchise guy in Tampa. He had the infrastructure around him organizationally early on. And uh, then all of a sudden he gets replaced when they get Tom Brady, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I really think 
he could have been their version of Tannehill, and maybe he still is after the surgery. The people I talked to about his surgery said it went incredibly well. It was like as good of uh, Dr. Neil Atache is one of the best in the in the world, and he, he apparently told them he couldn't have had a better surgery uh, procedure. So we'll see. I, I don't know if the Saints saw enough of Jameis to say they're all in on him being the long-term guy. I don't think they know that yet. Um, the body of work probably isn't quite there yet, but I think they're going to have consider every option, including him, including the draft, including free agency. I, I mean, I just think they know it's the most important position on the field, and it might not be one of these elite guys, but it's going to be somebody that they feel like they can win games with right now uh, with this current iteration of the team. It's even more important on this team. I mean, some teams it's not as important as others. To me, quarterback is even – I mean, just look at look at the Patriots, okay? You lose Tom Brady, you lose – I mean, you lose Tom Brady. There's no replacing a Tom Brady. But they tried to do it with Cam Newton, who didn't fit into Bill Belichick's style. And so what does he do? He goes and gets a Mac Jones, to me, who's been just – Fine. Okay. I mean, he may turn into a great quarterback. I don't know. And he's certainly improved as the season's gone along, but look how much that team's improved from last year from one guy. Yep. No, you're right. And they're a great example too, for the saints. I mean, I think you're giving me some thoughts on an upcoming column because I think, you know, their quarterback play is just, it's smart. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They play to their strengths and they win with the culture that they developed there. They know how to win games. They know it's a different formula every week. And and I think the same thing. I mean, Mike Rabel played for Belichick. These are there's not uh, it, it's not a coincidence that the Saints, the Patriots, the Titans are winning. They're all come from that Parcells tree and they know how to win games. Um I don't think that's coincidence. Well, I mean, uh, the Saints kind of got bailed out yesterday in a way. Um you know, they lose, but some Tampa Bay inexplicably loses at I Washington. I mean, look, you, you can talk about the Jags, Bills, all you want. Um, to me, losing Tampa Bay coming off a bye week after losing to the Saints, going to Washington against a really bad football team, in my opinion, that has nothing to play for because they're not going anywhere. To, play, to, to, to me, that is the shocker of the season. Yeah, well, that's a great point. I mean, when I, I remember the week of the Saints game against Washington football team, I was telling my friends that bet on games because I don't bet sports, but uh, I told them, I said, that's the lock of the year. I mean, Saints needed to win. Washington, I didn't think there was Agreed. any way in hell they would come within 10 points of them, and they didn't. Uh, you know, I don't know how that team beat Tampa Bay, but I think there's some issues in Tampa right now. Brady's not playing that great. Defense is not nearly as good as it should be. Their secondary is banged up. They're missing some of their starters, Carlton Davis. But they have not compensated very well. And um, it, you're right. That's a silver lining to yesterday. Now, Car- the problem is everyone in the division now is kind of in the race uh, because Carolina, uh, lo and behold, they, they had a big win with Cam Newton. But everybody's kind of in it. And so the Saints really need to get a win. And I, you know, I know we're going to probably turn our attention to next week, but I've said all along this – I wrote my column over the weekend. This four-game stretch, man, is tough. 100%. And I felt like the Saints could afford to lose that Tennessee game. It's an AFC game, but they have to get this Philadelphia game. I just feel like this is one they have to win. It's an SC game. Philly's playing pretty well right now. 
I think the Saints are better than Philly. They've got to get this win, and then you got to get back home against Buffalo and Dallas and somehow win, steal one of those games in the Superdome. And if you come out of this four-game stretch at 2-2 two and two, and you're, what would that make them, 7-5 and five going into the last five games, it gets a lot easier. you got a yeah. team that's going nowhere. you got the Dolphins they are going nowhere. Uh, you know, Carolina comes here. I just feel like that's a manageable stretch. You could maybe win four of the last five, but I think they've got to come out of this stretch at least two and two. I agree. For for psyche alone, I don't think you can go one and three or certainly right. not zero and four again again in this group. And yeah, I mean, uh, we they struggled with Jalen Hurts last year. Um, right. You know, that was a Taysom game, and it didn't work out the the way they wanted to. And it was, I mean, I don't, I haven't looked at a forecast, but uh, I know it was. It was nasty. It's been a little nasty that way as of late, and we never know we're going to get in November. Um, Yeah, I mean, so so now the the NFC South is all bunched up. I mean, and I agree with you about Tampa Bay, but I've I've said it before and I'll say it again. They won despite Bruce Arians last year, Um, and that's only because Tom Brady was on a mission and got hot at the right time. But I've never thought they were a top tier kind of team. Again, last year they just got hot at the right t- time, and yep. uh, they were one Jared Cook fumble away from being eliminated in the divisional round. And, um, you know, so let's not go talk about how great they are because they're certainly beatable. And I think if they go on the road and have to play a Green Bay or a Dallas this year, it's not going to be the same thing. All right, this 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 upcoming stretch, and before I let you go, because I do want to talk about the, the Saints' future, obviously. Um immediate future what kind of keys do you put on uh obviously got to go back on the road you got to play a philly team we just talked about it we don't know what the weather is going to be yet and then josh allen and dak prescott i'm not as worried about who the quarterback is for the other team because i think the defense has been playing soundly enough but what do you do different uh offensively or do you do anything different and you just they got to pick up the pace at least to me that's my biggest problem with Simeon is just kind of like we we almost like walk to the huddle. We come back up to the line again. We don't have we didn't have Kamara. I get it, but to me that there's got to be a little bit more pace. They got a little bit more go go go. Yeah, well, I think getting Kamara back will be huge. I don't know if he'll be back this week or not. I think he will, but that's a big. I mean, he's a big chunk of their offense. No I, I actually thought Ingram played really well. Excellent. Uh, you know, on Sunday. Yeah, I thought he. Yeah, he. I was not that excited when they got Ingram just because I felt like he. He kind of was a little bit, uh, you know, on the tail end of his career, but he's shown some juice since they got him and has made a difference in the passing game. Uh, and that was an area I also questioned. So um, I, I think they get him back. Uh, this this game they've got to win, though, J.D. I mean, this is one they've got to win. Uh, you, if you lose again, you'll have lost three in a row. They're coming home, playing Buffalo and Dallas. I mean, th- those are two of the five best teams in the league right now. Uh, you can play well in those games, just like yesterday. I think the Saints played well in a lot of ways, but they played a really good team, and it wasn't good enough. Uh, so, you know, you're going to get exposed when you make those mistakes against good teams. So I, I, I think this game, uh, they get a little more healthy, maybe get Toronto Armstead back. That'll help as well offensively, and they just they got to play well. Interestingly, can you hear me still? So, uh... Yeah. Okay, I thought I lost my mic for a second. Um, interestingly, um, the show you how fickle Vegas is and how fans, uh, p- the average schedule better. Maybe it's Sharps, I don't know. But the line changed Sunday morning 
the line for the Saints game was Saints minus one. And then last night, and I haven't looked at it this morning, but last night it was Saints plus one and a half. So because Philadelphia goes on the road and, and beats a Denver team that I think just got lucky against, I'm not lucky. Everything fell their way against Dallas. Let's, let's right. face it. And Dallas was in a flat spot. Um, I don't think that Denver is all that good. Nothing against Teddy. Um, but to, I agree with you. The Saints are a better team. So to, to see that line change that much is a very interesting. But this is certainly a must win. I mean, it, the, if they would have won yesterday, you could escape and, 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 and get around it. But they have to win one of the two games. And to, that's why yesterday is so frustrating because whatever cushion you had and to blow the chance when Tampa Bay loses a game like they lost yesterday – that's the most frustrating thing about it is after you start looking at the dynamics, they would have been on top in the NFC South had they won yesterday. Hard to believe. Yes. And you just Well, it, even more so, over. man, losing the losing to the Falcons at home. That yeah. is the one that's inexcusable. I mean, look at look at what Dallas did to Atlanta yesterday. Uh, you know, they gave up three points. Atlanta was moving the ball down the field with these explosive plays. And that's why I go back. I mean, you know, this defense has to carry this team. They can't afford those those lapses like that against teams like the Falcons defensively. This is what this team is built for. That That's the unit that's healthy. I mean, almost everybody on the team is healthy. The only guy that's out right now is C.J. Gardner-Johnson. So, like, that unit should be dominant. They can't be giving up 50-yard plays and 64-yard passes on the first play down the stretch after you get the lead. I mean, those are egregious mistakes. We all focus on the offense, uh, but the defense has to has to be better. All right, well, looking forward, I'm going to get your use your prognosticating skills because this team's about as easy to read as the Bible in Latin. Uh, but uh, what do you think the rest of the way? I mean, do you still think that this team is, is still a playoff team? Um, we don't know what's going to happen at quarterback and wh- how the injuries are going to heal themselves or whatever, but um, what do you foresee the second half of the season now? No, yeah, I definitely think they're going to make the playoffs. I'll be shocked if they don't. Um, I think they got to get a win on Sunday, and I think they will. And then, uh, you know, they could still – they could go one and three theoretically in this four-game stretch because the last half of the season, so I think user-friendly, you could end up 10 and seven, I think. I don't know if that's good enough, but it might be. With, with yeah, 10 and seven would be team. good enough this year. Yeah, especially the way the way the season's kind of playing out. We've got a lot of 500 teams. I think 10 and 7 might get them in, but they, they're not going to get to 10 and 7 this tomorrow. I just don't see it. I don't know if they win down at Tampa. I don't know if they beat either Dallas and Buffalo, but you just never know in this league. You know, flat games come up all the time. We see it all the time. And I think the Saints could steal one of those, even though I think both those teams are probably better than the Saints right now in the dome. Um, you know, you could get, get one of those wins. But uh, yeah, I think, they, I think they definitely are good enough to make the playoffs. This defense has been good. They're good on special teams. I know they had problems yesterday, and they're just well-coached. I mean, this is a well-coached team. They always will be. Um, and I think they end up end up skeeching in as a as a wild-card team, and then you never know. Maybe you get hot and do some damage there, but uh, there's this very little margin for error right now. I agree. I don't think they match up well against Buffalo, but no one does. Um, you have to catch them at the right time. But Dallas is different. I think they – I mean, we, they've shown that they can stuff Dak and really – just aggravate and torment him. So I, I'm looking forward to that. It could be another one of those 12, 10 games like we had a couple of years ago. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Dunk, thank you so much for, for spending an hour with me on Monday. I know uh, Mondays are kind of a wrap-up day, and 
and busy. So we always appreciate you coming on the, on the, on the podcast. Yeah, but we'll do it again soon. And uh, hopefully it'll be after better circumstances than that loss on Sunday. Yeah. Let's have happy, happy, joy, joy next time. <laughs> Talk to you later. Sure. All right, buddy. Yeah. Well, we agreed on a lot more things than I thought we would agree on. So interesting conversation. You know, I normally do my, uh, my monologue after I do my interview and kind of piece it together. But uh, this time I didn't. I, I did it. I didn't want to. I didn't want to affect what I, what I was thinking. And um, an interesting take. So, look, I think, I think he and I think a lot alike on this, obviously, after listening to him. And um, he's right. Tough stretch. I think now that you you lose yesterday a game that you should I mean think about it. I mean the Saints are 5 and 4 and they really kind of pissed away three of those four, right? I mean they had no chance to win against Carolina. That was just a mess. We don't know what Carolina is. But uh I mean really you should have would have could have Jim Mora. I mean but they should be 8 and 1. I mean they really should be. They had no business losing yesterday. They had no business really losing Atlanta. I mean, you could say, yeah, they had to come back and they gave it the big play. Okay, fine. Give that one away. But they certainly had no business losing to the Giants. So at the minimum, they ought to be 7-2. and two. But you are what your record says you are, and you're 5-4. and four, And now you're with all the other mediocre teams that are going to be fighting for a wild card. Unless they can pull out. Look, it, would it shock me if the Saints won the next three games against three really good teams? Well, two really good teams and one okay team, Philadelphia. You've got to beat Philadelphia. I think I pulled out the must-win card a couple times this season. Washington was a must-win. Um, there was another one I think it was a must-win. I'm kind of losing. Well, Tampa Bay was a must-win if you wanted to win the division, and they won it. So every time that I think that they've absolutely had to win, they keep, the problem is they keep giving their their – okay, you can lose this game, and then they lose it. So maybe that's just, maybe they need to go in every game thinking it's a must win. I mean, of course teams don't go in thinking, oh, we can lose this game, we're not going to play, you know. No one thinks like that. But they're human, and in the back of their minds, it's there. I think this is a must win. Philadelphia is a must win. You've got to go and beat a team, to me, in my mind, that is average at best. You're better than them. They're fighting for a playoff spot too, so maybe they think it's a must win. But you're talking about a team that uh, that I don't think can figure themselves out. And the Saints can't figure themselves out either, so it's going to be interesting. Look, anything can happen. I mean, we talked about Tampa Bay losing to Washington, and I, I said it with Duncan, and I, and I mean it now. I mean, could anyone in their right minds predict that that one would have happened? No. You're lying. If you said you're, you could be a football team fan and think that no one thought that that was going to happen. I don't even think the people in the Washington football team locker room thought it was going to happen. And Duncan's right. There, there are some issues in Tampa Bay. And maybe Tom Brady's getting to that point of his career, and I'm certainly not going to write off Tom Brady. But remember when we started seeing the things uh, on Drew about three seasons ago when he'd make it through 10 or 12 games and then he started to fade 
and then he'd come back and he was great the first half of the season and then he started to fade. Maybe you're going to see that from Brady. I don't know. But to see him play two games in a row like he played the last two, especially against a bad team that was without Chase Young for most of the game after he got hurt, and he still couldn't get anything done. I mean, to see Tom Brady look human when they absolutely needed him and he still couldn't come through, and he looked bad. And I got to go back. I want to watch that whole game. I just I just saw the clips on the Red Zone channel watching it live while the Saints were on, so I really couldn't pay all that much attention. But I'm going to go back and watch that game because I can't fathom what happened there. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Arians is a well-below-average NFL coach. They are beatable. This division is not sewn up by any means. So anyone who's writing off the Saints or the Panthers or even the Falcons, yes, the Falcons, if you're writing anyone off in this division, you're silly. Obviously, the Falcons are the worst team of the four, which makes the loss last week even more frustrating. But I got a feeling when they go to Atlanta, it'll be a different game. We'll see. And then Carolina. But don't be fooled by Carolina. Don't, don't think that Cam Scammy Newton, I'm back. Yeah, good for you. You're still a bum. He won't do anything when it matters. Of course, he's better than what they had. I take Scammy Newton over Sam Donald or PJ Walker every day, Christmas, Mardi Gras, Thanksgiving, and Halloween all combined. Are they a playoff team? I don't know. Because I, you know what? I'm looking at the playoff standings right now, and who knows what it's going to take with this extra playoff team. I'm not a fan of this seventh playoff team in each conference. You know, I get that it may help the Saints in the long run, but uh, I'm not a fan. I think we had to let's don't become the NBA. But uh, that's that's a topic for another show. But you look at the Panthers; are they better? Well, they're better because Christian McCaffrey's back. The defense played inspired yesterday, and Arizona was out was without Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, two of maybe the top ten players. Offensive players in the NFL. I'm not taking a lot about that one out of the sky. I'm not going to get thrilled about that at all. But we'll see. I mean, I think Carolina's going to turn back into Carolina. So the Saints have a legitimate chance. If they win two out of the next three, they're, they're in this division race. They are truly in it. But they have to do it, and they have to find a way, and they have to... Win two out of three. I get one, you know, Philadelphia on the road, not an easy place to play. Although the, the Eagles have certainly not been good at home this year. I think they're still winless at home. So they'll have to go there. and must win. It's a must win Sunday. And then I think winning one out of the two after that, I don't know if I'd go as far to say those are must wins. But I think this is a must win. If you want to win the division still, you can go to the playoffs and lose this game and find a way to, to creep and sneak in. But if you want to be a six seed, seven seed, or whatever, go on the road, road and get your keister kicked in the first round, then sure, you could still do that without winning this game. 
But if you want to have any legitimate chance, I mean, this isn't a Super Bowl team, okay? Let, let's just, sure, we can have the sugar plums dancing around in our head, but it's not a, it's not a Super Bowl team. But to be in an, even in a position to where you find a way to get yourself into the second round or maybe the NFC Championship game if the right breaks happen and you get the right draw, you've got to win the division, you've got to win this week, and you've got to win one of the, of the games against Buffalo or Dallas. You can't lose two in a row at home. So we'll see what happens. I'm, I don't think that... I, I think they'll win this week. I don't know what's going to happen the, the two after that. I'll have to wait and see what we see. But again, goes back to what happens with Trevor Simeon. I don't know. And briefly around the rest of the NFL, besides the games that I've already mentioned, um, Green Bay's defense. I mean, I get that Russell Wilson was just coming back after a long layup, and man, they look, they're looking legit because they did a similar thing to Pat Mahomes last week. And if that team plays that kind of defense and Aaron Rodgers gets back into full strength, and I don't know what the injury is to Aaron Jones that happened yesterday, but A.J. Dillon looks pretty good. And you got to figure Devontae Adams is going to get rolling. They're getting healthy because their receivers are all coming back. Oh, they're all back yesterday, I believe. That's going to be a tough team to beat. But to me, the Green Bay's got to be considered the best team in the NFC, right? even with the Rams with all their additions. I'm not convinced, you know, and again, my my Super Bowl pick preseason, I say it every week because I, you know, I, I'm a standby until they prove me they can't do it, was Tennessee and the Rams. So I'll stick by that for now, but I'm starting to think it might be Tennessee and Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers looks on a mission, and he's trying to set himself up for what happens for next year. Black and gold? Maybe. I don't know if the Saints can afford them. I'm not sure the Saints... I mean, don't don't take this the wrong way. I mean, of course, <laughs> we'd love to have an Aaron Rodgers type, but I'm not so sure that he would fit in with Peyton. Of course, after watching the quarterback play, I've been watching. They got a chance to get Aaron Rodgers. Great. But uh, wrestling NF. NFL, uh, the one thing that stuck out, stuck out to me yesterday was last night. Um, I really thought, I mean, are the Chiefs back? I mean, they had a chance to take the, the, the lead in the division, and guess what? They seized upon it in a big way. They looked like the Chiefs last night. Does that mean they're back? I don't know. I need more of a sample size. I'm not, I mean, because every time you, you think they're back and you go and bet on them, then they lay an egg. But it's there for the taking. And if they get on a roll, I mean, they're gonna, maybe they're going to do it in reverse from last year. Last year they started strong and kind of like stunk up the joint a little bit from Thanksgiving on. So who knows? Maybe they are back. But Mahomes looked like Mahomes. Tyreek Hill looked like Tyreek Hill. The defense was good enough. And the Raiders are a mess. So it's hard to judge. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting, uh, it's going to be a fun second half of the season. Not just for the Saints, just an overall. I mean, look, I, t- I talk about the things that need to be cleaned up NFL-wise with all the penalties and the way they call personal fouls and all the friggin' ticky-tack holding calls. And 
I mean, some of the the flags need to be picked up. I, I'm, I'm look to me, flags should be thrown if 100% need to be thrown. We don't need to be, be throwing flags if they barely affected a play or didn't affect a play. I mean, I saw a pass interference penalty yesterday. I believe it was in the Green Bay game, where the ball was like ten feet over a guy's head. They used to that used to be a no call. We call everything now. They call everything. Stop doing that. I mean, I don't know if it's officials want to get their faces on TV or whatever, but it's a it's not necessarily affecting outcomes of games, but it's affecting the quality of the game. And I'm not saying we ought to be able to just drill guys and and forget about personal fouls. Yeah, I want all that stuff to be called. I want taunting to be called, as a matter of fact. But take the, the Pittsburgh game last week. I mean, by the letter of the law, that, that Monday night game, the the guy makes the play and he and he looks at the sideline and you know the, the, the Bears guy looks at the sideline and just stands there and looks. I mean, by the letter of the law, it was taunting. But it should it be no? That's not what it's. It's about what the, what you're trying to get out of the of intent. And again, the I mean, Duncan says the NFL is trying to get away from intent. Well, it's common sense. Use use common sense. You should use intent. You should be able to judge intent. All those things are judgment calls anyway. If they're judgment calls, you can judge intent. Anyway, that that's definitely gonna be a show. After the season's over. And when the NFL <clears throat> NFL meetings are going on. <clears throat> excuse me. When the NFL meetings are going on, I guarantee you're going to spend some time talking about that. Anyway, that is going to wrap it, wrap it up for episode number 23. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Caesars Sportsbook, an exclusive partner with us at the Advocate Times, speaking at bet.nola.com. And a reminder that... We have a link on bet.nola.com where you can go download the app and get a free $100 bet when it goes live. The guess is possibly, possibly by the end of the month. That's the hope. So it's sometime between, I think, Thanksgiving and New Year's, and I think it's closer to Thanksgiving than it is to New Year's. So go get that link, download the app, get a free $100 bet when it goes live, and don't forget about our shows each Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday on bet.nola.com. I want to thank Jeff Duncan for the frank chat this Monday morning. I'm not sure just yet who our guest will be on Wednesday, but I'm sure we'll dive more into the Saints' loss and talk more about the team, where the team goes from here, and the brutal stretch of schedule that continues over the next three weeks. Eagles, Bills, Cowboys. Hey, y'all, look. All losses are tough to take, some more than others. This is one of those that has an extra little sting to it. I get it. Remember, though, the Saints are just one game behind first place in the division. They had that tiebreaker. That tiebreaker of a team that no longer looks invincible. So get yourself outside and enjoy the perfect weather. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Peace and love, my friends. <laughs>